Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello there again, my friend. Today's number is 50. That is how many episodes we've done of the Stream Police podcast since number one way back in April 2015. And if you've been here for every single one of them with us, from Andy and I, thank you very much. That is awesome. This is the Stream Police Podcast. The Stream Police Podcast is brought to you by OverdueReview.com. Want something more in-depth than a sarcastic, pretentious, 140-character review of your favorite movie? OverdueReview.com. Hello, hello again, my friend. I am Clint Davis, movies and TV editor at OverdueReview.com. In just a little bit, we'll be hearing from our friend, Andy Sedlak, music editor at OverdueReview.com. You know, last time out when we were chatting, uh, I was a little under the weather, feeling down, couldn't smoke my stogie. Well, my throat's back to normal, so what am I going to do? I'm going to punish it with a big, fat stogie. Let's go ahead and light it up in my closet in Cincinnati, Ohio. That's how I like to start this program. If it's your first time joining us, if it's your maiden voyage... With the stream police, I don't know what you've been waiting on, but thank you for taking a seat with us here on this journey into uh, all things streaming, movies, TV, music, whatever else is out there in the media landscape. We try to take a look at it and tell you what's worth your time, what's not. Give you our humble takes. All right, let me go ahead and light my cigar up here. Very good. The Zippo never lets me down, especially here. In the closet. Like I said, it's our 50th episode here on the Stream Police. I don't want to just spin the whole show. We're not going to do a clip show. Don't worry. I do want to throw a few clips, though, at you here at the very beginning because I think it's fun to look back at kind of where we've come from on this show. So I was thinking about it. You know, it's it's been more than two years since the first episode, about two and a half years. What did we talk about in that first episode? Does anybody remember? First off, that first show was 30 minutes long. And it had no theme music. It just started with a cold open from myself. Through the magic of the internet. Welcome in, friends, to the first edition of the Stream Police podcast from OverdueReview.com. Definitely appreciate you guys checking it out. And uh, How about the big topics? What uh, what did I talk about in that uh, that first Stream Police podcast? I talked about Diane Sawyer's big interview on ABC with Bruce Jenner. Yes, I said it correctly. Bruce Jenner sat down with Diane Sawyer, and that was like the first interview we had since all those rumors, you know, about Bruce Jenner was going to be transitioning and everything. This wasn't Caitlyn Jenner. Nobody had ever even heard the name Caitlyn Jenner. No one knew who Caitlyn Jenner was, all right, until a little bit after this interview. It was still just Bruce Jenner at that point, and that was what I talked about in the first episode. The show, to me, tried to do a little bit too much. They had anecdotal interviews with transgender people. They had doctors, you know, other experts in the field. And it was almost like, OK, guys, you're not going to tell the entire complicated story of 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 the transgender culture in a two hour with commercial breaks on a Friday night on network television. I mean, it's just not going to happen, especially while you're weaving in and out of a long form interview with. A, also, a in that first episode, celebrity. I talked about the series finale of one of my favorite shows of recent years, Justified. On FX. And all I want to say is that they ended it on a hell of an ending line. I mean, really one of the best closing lines that I've ever heard on a television show ever. Um, and one of the best dialogue exchanges at the end of a program that I've I've seen um, 
at least in recent memory. I mean, it just, this one really stuck out for me. And this was a show to me that never really got its due. I mean, in its history, it wasn't. It, it I was sad to see that one go, man. Justified. Great show. If you never checked it out, I think it's on Amazon Prime right now. Uh, you should you should definitely give it a watch. Uh, it's a, just a really cool show, fun show to watch too. Not one of those that is too demanding of you or too intense or anything. It's just a it's a cool show. A lot of fun characters and a, a cool world that it was set in. Andy, meanwhile, in that first episode, he talked about Megan Trainer a little bit. Um, and I don't know if you ever do this. If you like, you see somebody on stage, and I see Megan Trainer, and she's got like you know uh, dresses with cats on them, and she's just surrounded by pastels, and it's not really my thing. Um, it's, it's, it seems goofy to me or at least juvenile. And, um, but then I start listening to the record and it's actually got some meat to it and her songs have teeth. And his big centerpiece was, uh, talking about some of the very good musical guests that David Letterman had hosted during his final weeks on the late show on CBS. You know, in the, in the couple weeks, few weeks ahead, uh, keep an eye out for, uh, Letterman's show. Because you're going to get, like I say, some pretty cool musical moments um, outside the box. And, you know, hopefully you, uh, you enjoy them as much as I do because I, I just think they're God. I mean, I, you know, I, I've been totally, thoroughly impressed, you know, and, and I've rushed home each night. I work uh, crazy hours, but I rushed home, you know, each night uh, to make sure that I can catch this stuff. So how about that? When this show first aired, Letterman was still on late night TV. That's a, that's a good mark there. And finally, in that first episode of the Stream Police podcast back in April 2015, I gave you, my dear friend, my first round of Netflix recommendations. What were um, they? I did find that uh, on May 1st, a number of movies are going to expire. Uh, one of those, Boys Don't Cry, um, which is a pretty hardcore. I mean, if you're into, if you want to watch a, a really good drama, an indie, a RoboCop, the original, is also going to be uh, going to be expiring from Netflix. Going to be disappearing from Netflix on May 1st. So if you've had that one hanging around, the original 1980s RoboCop, uh, give that one a whirl. Also, Basketball, that's another one that's uh, going to be expiring on May 1st. Funny as hell from Trey Parker and Matt Stone, the guys who do South Park. So there you go. 50 episodes of the stream police and here's to 50 more thank you guys very much for uh tuning into the show checking it out and uh helping us kind of grow the numbers and um you know we we just have fun doing it we really do it because we love it we don't make any we've never made a dime uh off of doing this show maybe that can change i don't know but uh um we certainly we think it's a great show but i don't know the marketplace is so saturated right now it's almost just like yeah, unless you want to go out there and kind of whore yourself out a lot, or unless you've got celebrity friends, it's kind of hard to make any money off of doing uh, a podcast, especially one where you sit in your closet or you sit in your basement like Andy and I do and talk about the things we love, uh, and that's all we do, you know? All right, let's let's uh, let's move on to something that we've been doing for the last uh, for 23 episodes of The 50 on the Stream Police, and that is the greatest TV show theme song of all time, this week. What's it going to be for our 50th episode? Well, I decided to go to a long overdue selection of one of the greatest TV show theme songs of all time. If you're a fan of this podcast, you know my affinity for HBO's The Sopranos. I've referred to it many times as the ultimate TV show and certainly the start of what is commonly now called the Golden Age of Television. It all started there with The Sopranos in January of 1999. My love of that TV show also extends to its theme song, which sets the scene better than almost any theme song I can think of off the top of my head. So that's why this week's pick is Woke Up This Morning, The Chosen One Mix by Alabama 3 from The Sopranos. The opening titles of The Sopranos, of course, are iconic. If you've never watched them before, you've got Tony Soprano. He's this hulking man, played by the late, great James Gandolfini. He's alone, driving in this gas-guzzling SUV along the New Jersey Turnpike, driving away from New York, where most of these kind of shows were usually set in the past. That was the first thing telling you this was different. So he's this, he's this big, fat dude, driving this big, fat SUV, smoking this massive fat cigar while he drives on the New Jersey Turnpike, and we see some of the uh, sights along the side of it as he goes along. The excess and the toxic nature of this complicated character all laid out 
every week right there in the opening titles. You only need that first about minute and a half to know a lot about this guy. And the song, it's this mix of hip-hop, blues, rock, all kinds of other stuff. Maybe like a little gospel in there as well with that choir. The song tells you about the violence that he's surrounded himself with. So a little about the song, Woke Up This Morning, was actually written and performed by Alabama 3, who are not from Alabama. They're actually a British band who go under the name A3 in the United States. And the reason they go by A3 and not Alabama 3 in the United States is apparently to avoid being sued by the country band Alabama. How about that? They know if you're going to play in Texas, you got to have a fiddle in the band. The guys in Alabama 3 have names like Larry Love, Rock Freebase, LB Dope, and Harpo Strangelove. So obviously kind of a weird group of guys. Interestingly, this song is written about a woman who decides to kill her abusive husband. The song's writer, Larry Love, said that it's ironic that Woke Up This Morning ended up becoming this gangster anthem because he actually wrote it specifically after realizing how misogynistic traditional blues lyrics were. So he wanted to do one from a woman's perspective. Of course, the song would come to be emblematic of one of TV's least woke characters of all time, Tony Soprano. A guy who was not exactly a feminist icon. There were a lot of great things about The Sopranos over the years that it was on the air, but it all starts with that theme song. That's why Woke Up This Morning, The Chosen One Mix, is my pick for the greatest TV show theme song of all time, this week. Unlike a lot of TV theme songs, that's one of those that you can. You can just, like, spin it. Just listen to it as a, as a regular tune. I remember Andy used to play it on his radio show back in college. We had Our shows were on back-to-back. That was actually how we got to know each other initially. And his show, he played uh, Woke Up This Morning, and I was just like, man, I, I knew there was something I liked about this guy. Because um, at that point, that was when I was really kind of getting into The Sopranos was when I was in college when I first got into it. My mom actually was who got me into The Sopranos. I hadn't watched it. Uh, until she had the DVDs and she um, of the first couple seasons because it was kind of still on the air. I think it was in its last two seasons at that point. And uh, she, you know, gave me the first couple seasons on DVD. I checked the rest out from the library, and my love affair with that show uh, has continued on since then. It's one of those I go back and rewatch every uh, year or so as I get the chance, and I, I find something new to love about that show every time I watch it. All right, Uh, I wanted to give you a quick update about the Hollywood Predators because, of course, last week, and no, that is not a new NHL team that's coming to Los Angeles. Um, These are the all these guys who are being called out for sexual harassment that's been going on for years and years. And for the last couple episodes, I've been kind of keeping you updated, giving you the numbers behind guys like Weinstein and Louis C.K. and Woody Allen and Polanski and Donald Trump and all kinds of these uh, these you know, Hollywood big shots and the uh, nasty behavior that they've been up to over the years, and they're finally being called out for it. Well, we've got two more big ones this time uh, around, and I don't want to spend every show talking about these, like, sexual predators just because, as Andy always jokes, he he feels like his music segment every month is the podcast of death because at this point someone big dies every month from the world of music, so if he wanted to, he could just do an obit every month and that'd be a segment. I don't want to spend every month talking about these horrible guys on the podcast, but I just want to give you an update because Charlie Rose, who was like the ultimate all-time stand-up, 
beloved, um, you know, down home, got the southern accent. Everybody, he's like everybody's dad in news. He's like the guy everyone looks up to. I have referred to him as the greatest interviewer in, you know, the history of of interviewing. I think of interviewing shows. I think he's the, you got like Larry King, you've got Howard Stern, you've got Charlie Rose. These guys really raised the bar on what the interview show can be. And now, of course, it turns out he was a scumbag all along. He was inviting these uh, staffers on the Charlie Rose show, which he was the top guy in. And that just shows you how dangerous that is when there's no checks and balances in place. Having these young women come over to his house and you know, showering in front of them, making him look at him, his naked old 55, 60-year-old ass uh, walking around with no towel on. I mean, I don't know what goes on in these guys' heads, but it's just so bizarre. And it's like they're able to, at least in the Charlie Rose and Weinstein did this a little bit too, it's almost like maybe in their heads they feel like, well, I'm not raping them. I'm not making them blow me or anything. I'm just walking around naked. So it's not like rape. It's not really bad. Maybe do they do this so they can sleep at night? Is that what they tell themselves? Like, it's fine. It's just like mooning somebody or something. I mean, who cares? So she saw me naked. We're both adults. She could have looked away if she wanted to. Is that how it goes? I don't know. But, you know, this the power element of him being Charlie Rose is what makes the whole thing obviously so problematic. And he's in charge of their careers and can give them a, a boost up or can basically basically kick them out of the industry. So we found out Charlie Rose sucks, and we also found out that Matt Lauer is a big scumbag, too. How about that? He was sending sex toys to uh, female employees at at NBC and telling them how he wanted to use them on them. And he was uh, um, obsessed with women, apparently, according to a couple of uh, interviews that I saw in Variety and talking about their bodies and all this kind of stuff. And he was inviting NBC staffers to his hotel room while, they, while they'd be out covering the Olympics. I mean, it's just got awful stuff. I mean, just, just fucking terrible. And Matt Lauer, to me, always seemed like a douchebag anyway. So I was fine with this one. He is not one of those guys that I admired at all. It was kind of like when Brian Williams went down for very different things. I was like... You know, Brian Williams always kind of seemed like a douche anyway, so I was kind of fine with that. Charlie Rose did hurt me because I did admire him. But Lauer, whatever, I can totally see this coming from him. Um, but his reputation was sterling as well. I mean, you're talking about 20-plus years in the main chair of, like, the biggest morning show in television. So it's just crazy. All these guys, you know, Charlie Rose and Matt Lauer, gone now. They are, they are going to join Billy Bush in the you know never going to work again kind of category and i mean they both they all made enough money to where they don't need to work again but you're never going to hear about those guys again they're not going to be on red carpets anytime soon so um it's just crazy the list continues um and we'll see who comes out next month who knows who it's going to be i don't know i'm not going to make any guesses i don't want to smear anybody before it's you know happened but there you go charlie rose and matt lauer add them to the hall of shame all right, let's talk some TV. Let's let's move away from the scumbags and talk about some some TV and some actually some comfort TV. Um, is this show Stranger Things season two now on Netflix? Now, if you remember, uh, more than a year ago, when it kind of when it first came out, I reviewed Stranger Things season one in the big uh, the first big live together episode that Andy and I did, and we both had seen the show and we both talked about it. And we both agreed that it was a good show. It was just maybe leaning a little bit too heavy on the nostalgia button, and there wasn't really anything, I don't know, that memorable or original about it. It was kind of like the greatest hits of what worked about some other great old shows. Like, it had a little bit of Stand By Me in it. It had a little bit of X-Files in it. It had a little bit of even, like, maybe an E.T. vibe going on. It had some It in it. It it had, like, all kinds of different successful pop culture things going on mixed together in this one show. So Stranger Things season two was a, was kind of more of the same, but I'm going to actually say that I liked season two, I think a little bit better than season one because I feel like they took some more risks here. They didn't just season one was so successful guys. I think I read, I, I could be mistaken on this, but I think season one of Stranger Things might've been the most popular Netflix show with what little data we have about Netflix, it might have been the most popular Netflix show that has been done. I know that they threw a bunch of money at the Duffer Brothers, the guys who created this, and kind of let them, uh, you know, and locked them down for a few more seasons of Stranger Things, like immediately. The merchandising was bigger than Netflix had ever done on any show because as popular as Orange is the New Black is or House of Cards, you know, or, you know, several of their other shows, too, have been really popular. 
there, you don't really see like merchandise all over the place. But Stranger Things, you saw like a bunch of shirts at Hot Topic. You were seeing hats and all, all kinds of stuff. So season two came out uh, after being long awaited. Everybody was kind of waiting around for season two. The big fans of the show were anyway. And uh, I've heard a lot of overheard a lot of people talking about it. And like I said, I think I liked season two a little bit more because what they did was they didn't just take the formula of what worked so well in season one and what was so popular and duplicate it. Season two was actually pretty different from season one. The only thing that I'm getting a little bit, I hope they move away from in Stranger Things. And I'm going to try, I'm not going to give you spoilers or anything like I always do when I review shows. I, I try to always avoid spoilers because I'm going to assume that you haven't watched it. But if you have watched it, you probably know what I'm saying here. I, I think, I, I hope they move away from every season. It's got to be, all right, well, the town of Hawkins is in trouble again. This town's got this crazy stuff going on underground. I mean, it, it's just like, can't, can't, wouldn't the characters like kind of move away at some point? Like if these parents really cared about their kids, if Joyce Byers really cared about her sons. Wouldn't she kind of move them away at this point? I mean, why do you stay in this little shitty town when you know that, like, the apocalypse is basically coming from underground and it's causing your son all this health, all these health issues, mental health problems, and everything else? I mean, just move away. Go anywhere else. Just live somewhere else because there's a lot of creepy stuff happening only in this town, pretty much. You haven't seen news reports of any of this stuff coming from anywhere else. So I hope. I'm not saying I hope they move away, but I hope the storyline in the next season is maybe more of what we saw from Eleven's storyline in this season, which was kind of discovering the other, I don't want to call them mutants, but to use the X-Men terminology, mutants like the other experiments, the other kids who have numbers for names, um, maybe going out and finding them, and maybe they join forces and they finally bring this whole thing to an end. I don't know. I'm not sure... Uh, how many years Stranger Thing is going to go on for, but I can't imagine too many more years because you're going to get to that point where the kids get too old and then they look weird and they're they're way too old to be playing kids anymore and they should have moved on with their lives by now, but they're all still living in Hawkins. I mean, come on, doesn't make a lot of sense at a certain point. But this cast of kids really is good. They They captured lightning in a bottle when they found these five kids. Um, all of them really do a fantastic job. They're very fun to watch. And they caught lightning in a bottle again this season because they added a new kid to the mix. And it's this 15-year-old redhead from Texas named Sadie Sink who joins the cast and becomes like this season's kind of female ass kicker because Eleven is not really with the boys for much of the season, which was, again, something that I liked about this season. I wanted to see them all together, but we've we've done that before, and we're going to do that again next year. So it was kind of cool to have this season be a little different from last season because we needed that. It didn't all need to be the same. And uh, so Sadie Sink joins the cast. She plays this girl named Mad Max, and she was great, man. I, I just thought she was a perfect addition to the cast. Uh, also, the kid who plays her older brother, he was, like, magnetic every time he was on screen. He was a total one-dimensional asshole, which is one of the issues with this show. Sometimes you get the one-dimensional uh, characters. But... Um, Still, this kid that played him did a very good job, and um, you know the kind of relationships between the characters evolved a little bit. You got to see characters like Nancy and Jonathan get a little bit closer, develop their relationship a little bit more. I think everyone's favorite development from this season was getting to see Dustin and Steve become really good friends out of nowhere and kind of have a bond together as well because, I mean, those were two kind of fan-favorite characters who didn't seem like they would have anything in common or any reason to work together, but they did. I don't know. I just feel like you're trying way too hard, man. Well, not everyone can have your perfect hair, all right? It's not about the hair, man. The key with girls is just just acting like you don't care. Even if you do? Yeah, exactly. It drives them nuts. Then what? You just wait until, uh... Until you feel it. Feel what? It's like before it's gonna storm, you know? You can't see it, but you can feel it. Like this, uh... Electricity? You know, oh, like in the electromagnetic field when the clouds in the atmosphere. No, 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 no. Like a, like a, like a sexual electricity. Oh, you feel that, and then you make your move. And Lucas got to shine a little bit more. Him and Max had some really sweet scenes together. It was just there were a lot of things to like. I think about this season. Also some very creepy stuff. Um, and I love the fact that they got rid of Matthew Modine as a villain, and they bring in Paul Reiser. But I thought Riser was going to be like the same kind of guy, but he wasn't. So they didn't just copy that again. They didn't just copy formula. So I think uh, Stranger Things definitely has some legs to keep going. It just it doesn't feel like they repeated themselves too much 
this season. I mean, they did a little bit. You got to feel bad for little Will Byers. I mean, that poor kid. Um, and the kid who plays him, I think his name is Noah Schnapp. He does a really good job, but most of the time he's just got to lay around and kind of be comatose, which sucks for the, the actor. But uh, you got to feel bad for Will Byers. I mean, this kid's kind of been through hell all the way around. And uh, I don't know. I, I really, uh, I just, I liked the season more, like I said, than season one. I, I still feel like though, the thing with Stranger Things is, unlike a lot of the great TV shows, there's not a whole lot that I'm left to think about when it's. To when the show ends like when the show's over I kind of just move on and I'm like huh that was cool all right what's next it's not like one of those shows where I like to break everything down unpack it all think about it Beth and I will sit around and talk about what happened what did it mean Stranger Things isn't really like that I don't feel like there's a lot of subtext in this show I kind of think it's all on the page it's all on the surface and that's fine. There's a lot of good shows that are that way and everything doesn't have to be uh, something that you really think about a lot it can just exist on the page and it can, you know, it can live on the screen and, and everything can kind of unfold and, and be on the nose. And that's fine. And I think as long as it's well-made, well-acted, then it's worth coming back to. And Stranger Things certainly falls into both of those categories. They also, you know, it's got a good soundtrack. I love the theme song to this show. It's one of those opening titles that I never skip through because it's just really cool. It's unlike um, really any opening title that I've ever seen on any show. So it's it's already become iconic after only two seasons. So Stranger Things on Netflix, certainly one of Netflix's flagship shows. And I think uh, season two, they did a nice job. Good for the Duffer Brothers. And they're going to have some more money pouring in. It does sound like, I think they're they're developing a movie now. and uh, Not of Stranger Things, but like another project. So I don't know. Maybe season three is going to suffer by them getting distracted by other projects. I'm not sure. Uh, because I have to imagine those guys threw everything they had into season one, and then they probably did the same thing, trying to capture the same magic in season two. So I don't know. Hopefully the focus is still there on season three. Hopefully these kids aren't all like getting all these other acting jobs and you know just getting a little, get, having their heads grow ten sizes too large. Hopefully it stays focused and the show continues to uh, to be quality show and, and something that's worth watching. Stranger Things seasons one and two are now on Netflix. Very quick and fun watch for you if you haven't gotten into that show. If you like sci-fi, if you like adventure, if you like stuff like It um, and The X-Files and and some of the other stuff that I mentioned, if you like 80s movies strictly because they are 80s movies and they look and feel like 80s movies, give Stranger Things a watch because you will definitely enjoy it. It does have some creepy stuff and it does have some kind of gross special effects stuff in it. So if you don't like that kind of thing, then you may be turned off a little bit. It's got some horror elements, uh, but it's it's nothing you know too graphic or too hardcore. It's uh, it's pretty light stuff. Um, so yeah, check it out right now. Stranger Things seasons one and two on Netflix. But there's an army now. Precisely. His army. What do you mean? His army. Maybe if we stop him, we can stop his army too. Shadow monster. We got Will that day in the field. The doctor said it was like a virus. It infected him. And so this virus, it's connecting him to the tunnel? So the tunnels, to the monsters, to the upside down, to everything. Whoa, whoa, slow down, slow down. Okay, so the shadow monster's inside everything. And if the vines feel something like pain, then so does Will. And so does Dart. Yeah, it's like what Mr. Clark taught us. The hive mind. Hive mind? A collective consciousness. It's a super organism. And this is the thing that controls everything. It's the brain. Like the mind flayer. What? All right, I'm going to go ahead and uh, sit back, puff my stogie a little bit, toss things over to Andy Sedlak down in his basement in beautiful Dayton, Ohio. Take it away, Mr. Sedlak. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. 
So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there. Sure good to be with you. So, Bob Seger put out a new record. Tove Lo put out a new record. Morrissey put out a new record. Since the last time that we talked... Uh, let me look here. Mavis Staples, Kelsey Ballerini, and Kid Rock all put out new records. So did Maroon 5. And we got a box set from Bob Dylan. But nobody is talking about any of that. There is only one person who can size up this moment. Oh, look what you made me do. Look what you made me do. Look what you just made me do. Look what you just made me do. Oh, look what you made me do. Taylor freaking Swift, baby. Reputation is uh, the name of her new record and is aptly titled, Let Me Tell You Why. Because if you don't care about Taylor Swift's reputation, you won't care about any of this new music at all. Look, two things here. I'm going to talk about where she stumbles, and I'm going to talk about where the record shows promise. But I'll tell you right now that if you ask me to grade this thing out of, I don't know, five stars, then I'd give it maybe one and a half. Because I don't care about the topic she's singing about, which is her. To get the most out of this album, you have to give a shit about her personal life. She is counting on you to give a shit about her personal life. In order to get the most out of this music, you have to be familiar with the gossip sites and idiot blogs. You have to follow her on Instagram and Twitter. You have to basically be 15. The world moves on another day, another drama, drama. Taylor Swift's uh, reputation is not a self-contained work. It is not. Let me repeat that. It is not a self-contained work. It relies on you to be familiar with storylines away from her music. Then, she uses the LP to react to them. Vague threats, vague insults. For the first time on a record, she uses the word shit. That evidently is a milestone. Rolling Stone's been a, a was an early supporter of Taylor Swift. Said in a review of this record, again called Reputation, that when she used the word shit. They described it as delicious. They said that was delicious. If a man talks shit, then I, owe him nothing. I realize I'm in the minority here. A lot of people don't have the same opinion that I do. Uh, Reputation, of course, has become the highest selling album of 2017. Sold over a million copies in its first week. Over a million copies in its first week. And that just doesn't happen anymore. Compare that to the second best selling album of the year. From Ed Sheeran called Divide. It sold like 900,000 copies over five months. It's not even close. Taylor Swift, as an artist, has convinced us that we will never predict what she does next. She has convinced us that we don't know where she could possibly go next. It's marketing and hype. And in my mind... Uh, she's dead average, barely unique enough to have an opinion of. The first time I heard, uh, look what you made me do, I had the same reaction as when I first heard Shake It Off. That, that's, that, I was embarrassed for her. I'm sorry, the old Taylor can't come to the phone right now. Why? Oh, because she's dead. And it was so self-serving and self-congratulating in self-mythologizing, my face was red for her, 
And that, my friends, is exactly why I could not be a talent evaluator. Because if she recorded that and I was in the room, I'd be like, oh, God, you got to scrap that. That's stupid. Come on. Come on. Don't be cheesy. Don't be cheeky. But people ate it up. Evidently, I don't know her demographic. And I guess that, I guess maybe that's it. I don't know <laughs> what, what some people want in music or, or their pop stars. I wouldn't think it would be that different from what I want, but the Taylor Swift phenomenon largely baffles me. I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. Uh, to be fair, look, uh, to be fair, I don't, I don't want to sound like your older brother or your dad or your freaking grandpa. There are, uh, let's see, there are three tracks, looking over the list here, three tracks on the album um, that, that definitely work for me. So let's take a look at those. The first is Delicate. My reputation's never been worse, so... You must like me for me. The second uh, song is called Dress. In, in, in a lot of ways, uh, let's see, this is a song that kind of represents a missed opportunity. Look, we know that Taylor Swift is interested in raising eyebrows, and I think she would have raised more of them if she would have led with this song as her first single. And aside from just purely raising eyebrows it's it's just a better song it's just a better song than look what you made me do this is a song called dress this song was one of those things where like almost every line is like something that i came up with like a year before and then like when i was writing the song i just like cherry picked and i was like like that like that like that like that and i was really proud of the hook of this because it sounds like a pickup line (laughs) and yet it is a love song about deep and tender feelings Okay, so we touched on Delicate, talked about Dress, uh, the third keeper on Taylor Swift's new record, Reputation, called New Year's Day. This is probably the standout on the on the record. After she uh, performed it on SNL, she somewhat unexpectedly gave it to country radio programmers. And obviously she came from country music, but wouldn't that be interesting if she was simultaneously played on country and pop radio? That That doesn't happen a lot. So... Those three songs are good uh, because they, they managed to buck the trend of putting out songs that more or less react to gossip blogs. Uh, still, that's three keepers out of what, 15 songs? That's uh, 20, 20, yeah, 20%. It's a failing grade, 20%. If I had a message for Taylor Swift, it's, it's this. Get over yourself. Get over yourself. When she manages to get it right, she combines two things, doesn't she? The first is confidence and the second is vulnerability. She possesses an ability to know oneself and to be frank about it. She did it on blank space and out of the woods. And she does it on the three songs that I just mentioned. But in order to do more of it, She's just going to have to get over herself. The way I feel the album is, as far as a storyline, is I feel like it starts with just, like, getting out any kind of, like, rebellion or anger or angst or whatever. And then, like, falling in love and realizing that you kind of settle into, like, what your priorities are and, like, your life changes, but you welcome it because it's something that matters to you. And this last part of the album feels like settling into where I am now. So it's, it kind of started with where I was when I started making the album and ends with kind of my, my emotional state now. So my wife has been listening to uh, Sam Smith's new record called The Thrill of It All. It's a, it's a bummer of a record, man. And <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm not being critical. That stuff serves a purpose. 
it's a good nighttime record. You know, like how some albums just sound better at night. Some music just sounds better at night. Uh, this goes in with that. Two key tracks to pass along. Count them. One, two. The first is a throwback to sort of a simpler time in R&B. Think of like, uh, like uh, Gladys Knight or Brooke Benton. Um, maybe I'm just thinking about the train imagery. But uh, the song is called Midnight Train. When dude's got it, he's downright cinematic, okay? So if you're taking notes, uh, first is Midnight Train. The second is Nothing Left for You. And there's depth there. There's some self-deprecation. It's easy to connect with. There's, there's a humanity there. And it's easy to claim it for your own. And that's what we do with the best songs, right? We recognize their humanity and we take them for our own. So give those a shot. Now, one more recommendation to pass along and then something uh, that we have got to put an end to, something we have to put a stop to, my friends. The recommendation is NERD, reunited with Rihanna. Her flow is just sick, sick in this song. It's called Lemon. Here we go. I get it how I live it. I live it how I get it. Come to motherfucking digits. I pull it with a lemon. Not cause she ain't living. It's just your eyes get acidic, and this ain't a scrimmage. Motherfucker, we ain't finished. I told you we won't stop. A nigga by the business. Like yours, but you're renting. And the song just kills out of the gate. The truth will set you free, but first it'll piss you off. Hey, bad bitches want to be my bait. Hey, hold me down like the CIA. See what I mean? Easy to love it if you haven't uh, gotten into it already. I think it came out maybe at the end of October. So that's a recommendation. Now, what do we need to put an end to? Friends, we need to put an end to Flowrider. Flowrider. The guy puts out the dopiest, dumbest music. It's just so stupid. And we're better. You and I, we are better than this stupid, generic shit. His new song is called, uh, Jesus, I, I can't even say it. It's called Ola. I just had to say, Ola, oh la la, we should get acquainted like, oh my, oh my God, I don't speak your language, but him, 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 don't need no translation, just come This guy has been around too long for not having any talent whatsoever. He's richer than he needs to be, but enough is enough. All right? Don't download this. Don't stream it. Have a little self-respect. Know your worth. You're better than what he's offering you. So don't embrace it. Protect our airwaves. Don't give the suits at his label any reason to believe that we need any more of this. Fucking terrible. Enough of that. As you know, friends, we are building the most perfect playlist known to man. It's available for you to listen to whenever you feel like it on Spotify. Just go ahead and search Stream Police. We add uh, five more songs in every episode, and here are your five today. The first is Clampdown by The Clash. Holidays in the Sun by the Sex Pistols. Holiday 
like I, I, I spent so much time talking about Taylor Swift. I need like punk music to balance it out. Uh, third is uh, looking for a kiss by the New York Dolls. When I say I'm in love, you best believe I'm in love, L-U-V. I'm Your Man by Richard Hell. I'm your man. I'm your man. I'm your man. I'm your man. It's so good that you can get it from my hand. I'm your man. I'm your man. Lastly, I leave you with Unsatisfied by The Replacements. Thanks. It's always awesome hanging out. Behave yourselves for once. Back to Clint. See ya. Hey, thanks, Andy. Always good to hear from you, my man. And uh, I don't know, just between you and I, I think uh, I think Andy is like obsessed with Taylor Swift. Methinks he doth protest her music too much. There are worse people to be obsessed with, that's for sure. All right, let's get back to the tube and talk about another Netflix show. I hate when I just spend an episode talking about one network's TV shows. I don't like that. I like to spread the love around, especially with as many shows as I do watch. But I just wanted to give a full recap uh, on my thoughts on Netflix's Mindhunter, which season one came out uh, more than a month ago, and I, I watched last month. And I know in the last episode I gave you kind of like a, a midway point. I was talking about it a little bit and what I thought about the show. But now that I'm done with it and I've had to, I've thought about it a little bit more, I just wanted to tell you again that this is a show I really think is worth your time, worth watching if you uh, you got to be into crime. You've got to be into detective stories. Um, it helps if you're into psychology. And it helps if you're not creeped out by real-life murders because the stuff that happens in Mindhunter is real-life stuff. I mean, this is not made up. These are not things plucked from the minds of a writer. These are things plucked from the old headlines. So Mindhunter, if you haven't heard of it, is a show that's on Netflix. First season just came out about a month ago, and it's about it's based on the title of the book or the title of the show comes from the title of a, a book written by like one of the original FBI criminal profilers so he kind of like was one of the guys who invented the art of profiling killers and predicting who they were without really knowing just based on their patterns based on the things they do and really it's all about psychology it's about getting into their heads so that's why it's called Mindhunter and this show is about a couple guys who are fictional guys but who are based on real guys who work in the initial behavioral sciences unit of the FBI and and kind of turn uh you know criminal profiling into a respected art form and it's tough going at first nobody believes it nobody thinks it's really a worthy thing to do nobody nobody's really eager to buy into what they're selling at all but these guys keep going and the main the main characters are played by Jonathan Groff who is uh, really more well-known for his work on Broadway, apparently. I didn't know much about Jonathan Groff. He's got, like, a baby face, though. He's a very young-looking guy, and um, he I mean, he does some... He gets into some dark places in this show, and he does it really well, very subtly. This is not a performance that you're going to probably be raving about because it's not over the top. This is a very subtle performance, which I'm shocked, coming from a Broadway guy, how dialed down this performance is. I mean, th- this guy is... So quiet. I mean, he's like quiet as a mouse sometimes. Um, but ve- he's very good at getting into these dark places when he needs to. And uh, Holt McElhaney, 
plays the other guy, plays his older partner, Bill. And Holt McLaney, if you remember the FX show Lights Out back in the day, uh, I liked that show a lot. It got canceled after one season. He was the main guy. He played Lights, the boxer in that show. So this is the first time I've really seen him since that show. But he does, again, he, he does a fantastic job here as well. He's a little bit more in your face at times than Jonathan Groff is. He, his character calls for it a little bit more. Uh, but he's really kind of like the heart and soul of the show. And there's not much heart or soul in this show. This show is very cold, um, and, and it's very dark. And it's not a show that's going to give you warm feelings about really anything. So if you're looking for a show like that, don't watch Mindhunter. But if you you want something a little bit dark, if you want something to go along with this wintertime season, um, check it out. It's really it's cool stuff. Um, there are a couple of women in the show who also who match Groff and McLaney and who do a really nice job. Anna Torv, who I didn't really know her, but she's from Fringe and 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 my wife loved the show Fringe. She used to watch it all the time, so she knew Anna Torv more than I did. Uh, but I was so impressed with Anna Torv in this show. Just once again playing that role. That's kind of like just that cold, steely, um, but you know not terribly unfeeling woman you know this is a woman with real feelings here and they do come on display sometimes but at work man she's kind of stone cold and she always keeps the wall up all the time and, and she doesn't even let her co-workers really get to know her very well personally um i mean they don't even know her sexual orientation and uh, i mean that so that's pretty impressive she works with these people every single day and just kind of lets her personal life completely be um a mystery to them and and, and she's just she's fun to watch man she's intense and it's kind of like one of those performances that's like Robin Wright in House of Cards, just steely and intense. And I like watching when a woman does a performance like that, or a man for that reason. But it's it's just it's more fun sometimes when a woman does a performance like that because it's not it's not proper gender roles, man. It's not something that you typically see from a female actor. Uh, Hannah Gross also uh, is in this show. She plays uh, Jonathan Groff's character's uh, Holden's. Um, significant other, and she's like this academic. She's a student, and she doesn't really agree with his, uh, you know, career in the FBI. She doesn't really respect law enforcement very much. She doesn't really like their methods, and uh, they have a lot of heated discussions, philosophical dis- discussions, um, ethical discussions, and she's a lot of fun to watch in this show as well. Uh, and did some really good work. I had never seen her before. But uh, looking forward to seeing some more work from her, too. So I really enjoyed the cast of Mindhunter. Loved the look of the show. It was directed, the first episode was directed by the great David Fincher, and who you'll know from movies like Seven and The Game and Fight Club, Zodiac. Um, and this show looks a lot like his movies. So, again, it's got that dark color palette. It's uh, very low lit, and it's just a quiet, um, brooding show, as a lot of the great ones are. Um, but it, there was something interesting about this because it's a crime procedural and it doesn't feel like the typical crime procedural. So I really was impressed with Mindhunter and I'm glad because it was one of those 10 shows I put out in my fall TV preview saying I was looking forward to it. Sometimes I made to look like an ass on those, but this one lived up to my expectations and it was very good. I, I enjoyed the, uh, I think it was 10 episodes. Uh, it was a short run. I enjoyed the short season very much and I'm looking forward to next season. If you're watching Mindhunter right now, and let's say you watch the pilot, you watch the second episode, you're not really feeling it. You're not alone there. Uh, the show, to me, really picked up in episode four, I think it was. In about episode four, maybe the end of episode three. I can't remember. There's a scene. There's a specific scene that to me where the show really caught fire. And I knew this was going to be something special. And it was. It, it's when Holden and Bill are driving. They're in some podunk town, as they are in, a lot of times in this show. And they get into a car crash. All right? And no spoilers here or anything. They get into a car crash, and then the next scene, they're sitting in a bar together, eating, drinking, and talking about this car crash, talking about some other things. That scene was where I was like inching forward in my seat, and I was like, "This is this is gonna this is a good show. This is much better than than what I I thought it was gonna be." So, um, if you get to that point and you're not feeling it, then maybe you know you and I just don't agree. But that was where it really caught fire for me. It was about the end of episode three. I'm pretty sure. Once again, they get in a little car wreck. They're sitting in the in the bar talking to each other, I, and I was where you know the characters really took on some more life and became a little bit more three dimensional to me than just being two dimensional, um, you know, straw good guys bad guys kind of thing. So there you go, Mind Hunter season one right now is on Netflix. Uh, it has been picked up for a second season and going to be interesting to see where it goes. I heard that it jumps forward in time, so makes sense to me. Uh, we'll see where they end up going with this series. 
But uh, I'll definitely be along for the ride for Season 2 when that comes out. But for right now, check out what's available to you on Netflix. These past couple days, I keep thinking about when we met. You were so sweet and curious. I'm so curious. No. You're different. I'm the exact same person that you reeled in with that jumpsuit. I don't think that's true. But I'm not the same either. Oh, where are you going with this? Just thinking, talking. Thinking about... I don't know. You don't know. I don't know. Jesus, Debbie, come on. You're so good at reading people. You tell me. (laughs) Okay. Well, when I first got here, you didn't get up to greet me. And you didn't invite me inside, but you won't come to dinner with me. You've been sitting here this whole time with your arms crossed, which I know from you is a bad sign. You've been in a shitty mood the last 10 times we've been together, and you're always starting arguments, and you've been assessing me in a very negative light. And in spite of your recent confusion about your degree, you stay up late every single night doing homework, leaving me to go to bed alone. When I first got here, you offered me a sip of your wine, which could be construed as welcoming, but even though you knew that I was coming from the airport, you didn't bring an extra glass, and half the bottle is gone. Which means... You're trying to take the edge off so that you can break up with me? All right, I always like to end the show with a little bit of movie talk. And real quick, I wanted to give you uh, recommendations for two movies that are in theaters right now. One of which is probably ending its run in theaters. Uh, Blade Runner 2049. I finally got around to seeing this thing. And if you've already seen it, and forgive me for being so late to the party. I, I, I The first one is one of my all-time favorite movies. I've loved it for years, ever since the first time I watched it. Um, and the second one, to me, is about as good a sequel as I have ever seen uh, from any movie. I mean, this is... This is this is how you do a sequel, man. I mean, it, and you have to have seen the first one. So it's not like one of those sequels where the first one doesn't matter. Generally, I don't I don't really like those because I think you know the point of a sequel is you do have to build off of what happened in the first one. So you have to have seen the first one. But also, the second one introduces all these new characters. The world has changed a lot because it's set thirty years uh, past when the first one was set, and it's just it, it's such a gorgeous movie. It's so. Um, cleanly futuristic just one of those great you know like dystopian futures where it just looks fantastic still Um, some images that I will never forget that stick out with me forever here and uh, some really strong acting from guys like Ryan Gosling and Harrison Ford very good in this Dave Bautista was really good in the one scene that he gets in this movie Uh, the aforementioned Robin Wright very good in this movie as well and they did some digital magic by re by bringing back Sean Young from the first um, Blade Runner and making it look not creepy at all like Star Wars, making it look really good by bringing uh, what was her young face back in this, having her do some new dialogue, but it was her face in the in the other one because obviously she wasn't supposed to age because she plays a robot. Uh, and it looked so convincing. It looked fantastic. So uh, you can do it, man. You can digitally alter actors' faces and make them look young and it won't look creepy. And this was a prime example of that. It was a three-hour movie. It flew by. Loved it. Blade Runner 2049, if you were at all trepidatious because you loved the first one like I do, uh, don't don't worry about it. Go see Blade Runner 2049 and, and you, will, you will thank me uh, for recommending it. Denny Villeneuve, one of the brightest directors uh, going right now that, that we have. And uh, this guy's already made a couple movies that people regard as classics. I wasn't crazy about Prisoners. The Hugh Jackman movie just wasn't nuts about it. Beth and I watched it, and we weren't blown away. Maybe I need to give it a rewatch. But Sicario, I loved that film. And um, Arrival, I loved as well. And I'm going to actually mention Arrival here in a few minutes uh, as well. But Blade Runner 2049 right now is still kind of in its tail end in theaters. Be sure you check that out. It looked really good on the big screen. And if you miss it in theaters, definitely get it on Blu-ray, rent it or something, because you'll want to see it in high def. Also in theaters right now, Disney Pixar's Coco, the latest to add to the Pixar canon. And even though we found out John Laster is also a scumbag, Coco is a really good movie. This, this, This one made me cry. It made everyone in the theater cry. 
but it's not like a total bummer. Um, and it's a fantastic movie. It's such a heartfelt film. To me, it made me think of Up when I was thinking about other Pixar movies. But I like Coco better than Up. I've always felt like Up had the great opening. But then after that, it was kind of just pedestrian. It was kind of silly. It was like the, the villain was was very weak. The dog was cool, obviously. But it was just strange. It's like they're just wandering around the jungle and you got the old guy and the young kid. And I don't know. I just wasn't crazy about uh, past the first like 15 minutes, which are basically legendary at this point in cinema. But Coco as a whole film, I loved it. Take your family to see it. Go see it by yourself. Go see it with your wife, whatever. It, it is a beautiful movie about family. And it's a really good movie about Mexican culture, Mexican heritage. And it just shows you like how cool Mexico is, how great its history is, how great its culture of, of extended families are, remembering your family, remembering your loved ones, keeping their place on your mantle even after they're gone. Um, a lot of beautiful stuff in this movie, some really good original music, um, some fantastic voice acting, little nods to Mexican history. You've got some Frida Kahlo you know, references in the movie. She shows up in the movie, actually. Just some really good stuff. Um, memorable villain. Um, and, and just, a, uh, like I said, it was a really cool movie, just full of life, especially for a movie that's set mostly in the land of the dead. It's just full of life. So I couldn't recommend Coco more. I was blown away by it. Really liked it. Um, the trailers weren't really connecting with me. I was kind of like, I don't know what this is going to be, but it's Pixar. So I'll give it a shot. And I'm so glad I did because I, I loved it. It's instantly become one of my favorite Pixar movies. It's right up there to me with some of their all time best, which are some of the all time best movies ever made. So check it out. Coco right now in theaters. Ah, mira, mira. They're setting up for tonight. The music competition for Dia de Muertos. You want to be like your hero? You should sign up. Uh-uh. My family would freak. Look, if you're too scared, then well, have fun making shoes. Come on. What did De La Cruz always say? Seize your moment? Show me what you got, muchacho. I'll be your first audience. Miguel! <gasps> Abuelita! What are you doing here? Um, uh, you leave my grandson alone! Doña, please! I was just getting a shine! I know your tricks, mariachi! What did he say to you? He was just showing me his guitar! <gasps> Shame on you! Uh, my grandson is a sweet little angelito querido cielito! He wants no part of your music, mariachi! You keep away from him! <laughs> couple movies now streaming for you that I want to mention as I head out the door here on the Stream Police Podcast. On Netflix right now, as you get ready for the holiday season, if you can believe it, The Nightmare Before Christmas is on Netflix from 1993. It's one of the uh, most visionary and beautiful, beautifully dark, that gothic love story uh, between Jack Skellington and the love of his afterlife, Sally, um, and their cool little dog zero. It's uh, it's just such a such a remarkable movie in the way it was made, the way it looks, how how it sticks with you. The the songs by Danny Elfman are instant classics, um, and it's just a it's just a cool movie. I mean, it's there's it doesn't get a whole lot cooler than the nightmare nightmare before Christmas, um, especially at the Christmas season. So that right now is on Netflix. One of the all-time Disney greats. I think I'm not alone in saying that. And just one of those movies that uh, the look will stick with you forever. If you never got around to watching it, sit down and watch The Nightmare Before Christmas. You will not regret it. And on Amazon right now, Arrival, the aforementioned movie from Denny Villeneuve, the director of Blade Runner 2049. This one came out in 2016. Beth and I went and saw it then. It blew us away. I, I gave you a little review of it here on the show. It's got one of the best endings that I can remember in recent movie history. One of those twist endings that just blows you away, left our jaws dropped, and was so well done uh, that, you know, I, I didn't see it coming, but then it totally made sense when it happened. So Arrival right now with the great Amy Adams is streaming for you on Amazon Prime. Check it out. Uh, it's a it's a really cool, quiet sci-fi movie that's all about communication, really, and uh, all about uh not having a fear, giving up your fear of the unknown. So as so many great sci-fi movies have been about over the years. There you go. Netflix has Nightmare Before Christmas. Amazon has a rival for you right now. All right. That's going to do it for me and uh, Andy as well, I guess, here on the Stream Police Podcast, Episode 50. We'll talk to you in about a month from now as we look forward to the new year. Can you believe it, my friend? 2017 almost in the books. How's it going for you? I hope well. 
uh, write me at theclintdavis at gmail.com, T-H-E, clintdavis at gmail.com. Anything that's on your mind, I'd love to hear from you. Uh, make sure you uh, give us a follow on Twitter as well at overdue underscore review. And Andy, I know you can reach him at sedlacjournal at gmail.com, S-E-D-L-A-K, journal at gmail.com. All right, my friend, thank you very much for spending some time with me. Talk to you next time here on the Stream Police. Until then, stream on. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.